Sidetracked, the music podcast. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Sidetrack Music Podcast. Um, we're we're back again after uh, our latest episode, the top fifty. Today um, we're we're changing timescales a bit, but first we'll say hello to um, everyone else who's there with me. God, that's a good way to say it. Zach, <laughs> how how was Freshers? Freshers was pretty wild, pretty wild. I'm all moved in um, to my new flat, which is surrounded by musicians who practice all the time. And I can't get away from it because my window is broken <laughs> and left on open. So there might be some background noise for you all today um, under my speech. Well, at so. least we don't have to pay for the rights for that music. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, well, Zephyr, on, on that note, welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I, I, I heard you... At- yeah, I was about to say, uh, I heard you were at a jazz festival. How was that? I was. I was at the, the world-renowned Montreal International Jazz Festival over the last couple of days, which y- it usually happens in like June. But um, this year, I guess because of COVID or something, um, it happened uh, now, I mean, in, in September. Um, tickets were free, which was amazing. You just have to kind of go and like reserve online. So I saw uh, three shows on Friday, three shows on Saturday. Um, and it was really cool. We weren't, weren't particularly like well-known bands, um, but I saw like two, the two five o'clock shows were like jazz trios. So it was very kind of the first one I saw was kind of very kind of traditional jazz trio, the Emmy R Roussel trio. They're very good. And, uh, Misk who are kind of younger, slightly more like avant-garde kind of thing. They had all oh. these soundscapes going. It was very cool. Oh, yeah. It was kind of slightly minimalist. It kind of built up and then kind of came back down again with rhythm stuff. It was very cool. That's cool. Um, Mm. And then, and I saw um, on Saturday at seven, I saw Shalia, um, who you may have heard of. I don't know, but she's a kind of soul singer, um, and she she it was it was really good actually. Um, I'd never really heard of it. It was a kind of good upbeat music. Um, she really cool backing band. It was quite minimalist. They just had drums, bass, and a guy on keys. Um, and towards the end, these two kind of dancers came on. Um, and they were really, really good. Um, it was quite, I'm, I'm not usually, I don't usually care that much for kind of the dancing and stage performance aspect, but it was actually mm. quite cool to see. But, um, by far the best performance for me was, um, the Brooks who are just a kind of big jazz funk band. They came along on Friday night at nine o'clock and it was such a, like they, their, their intro was really cool. They had a kind of sonic thing and then it just kind of cut and they just broke into some groove and it was like okay now oh. now we're talking um everyone was dancing so cool. it was a really cool atmosphere and it was really nice to like do something like that after like you know it's like the first time in a couple of years being in a, a gig like that mm. yeah that's but, yeah. the thing with all this stuff coming out now isn't it like we can go out and go to gigs and it's just like so mm. fun because it's just been so long like 18 months or whatever and ugh, artists never fail to say at the performances it's been a hard long 18 months but we're oh, finally here they say that every performance and it, it, it gets a bit boring but <laughs> yeah you know, well, the in the book, so. he, he said he said he said it quite nicely actually he said um we the the lead man was a very very cool he had an amazing stage presence he played he was singing and playing the trombone and, oh wow um, oh, that's cool uh, at the same time <laughs> no, uh, no. <laughs> it's a cool effects. But um, he had a very cool stage presence, and he was like, "You know, we're here to remind you what the good times were like 
and how good the how good the times are going to be in the future and then it's like oh, and yeah. the future is now and everyone was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, I agree. I wish, yeah, wish no, we I'm... could have been there. That would have been yes. cool. Yeah. Sounds like it would have been less um... cringe if you were there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. He, he made it sound cool. You know, he had, oh, he okay. had the right accent for that kind of thing. I wrote out there was something cool. Oh, yeah. Um, there was one guy I saw. It was, it was more of a kind of blues rock thing. I was a bit less of a fan, but it, it was pretty amazing. This guy called Steve Hill. He was simultaneously playing the guitar, singing, playing the drums. Um, I mean, I, I say yeah, there's more, but yeah, I'm playing the drums, but in an amazing way. So he had, so he had like the kick and, and snare kind of with pedals. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So both his feet were kind of doing that. And on the end of his guitar, he'd attach some kind of drumstick thing. So he was hitting like the hi-hat and the cymbal with like the oh, end of his God. guitar as he played. He was kind of rocking, so he's, like, rocking back and forth as he was playing, kind of yeah. smacking the hi-hat. Wow. That's it was massive. really good. And, and then also playing the guitar at the same time. Yeah, and it was amazing because sometimes like his backing band cut out and it was just him, but it sounded like a full band. It was like he's creating all of the sound. It was really impressive. That is really cool. Wow. I love one-man band stuff. Um, (laughs) The amount of practice that must go into like playing simultaneous instruments. People spend their lives studying and then you can just do it what (laughs) three at a time. Yeah, exactly. It was really good musicianship. And mm. of course, throughout the entire festival, there were appropriate dank faces on show um, on the big screens. Um, <laughs> yeah, I took, I don't know, I, I, I recorded a few things, so I don't know, I might kind of pipe them on, under this conversation if the sound quality is good enough. Um, we'll see. It may or may not be there as you listen. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, um, it's time to get on to the brief. Um, mm. I should say in part two, uh, so you can look forward to my artist spotlight of, of Paolo Nutini. But um, in part one, uh, Zephyr has set the brief. And Zephyr, yeah. what have you set for us today? So I've I've set favorite Beatles tracks. Um, and for those who don't know, which is probably not many people because the Beatles are one of the biggest groups <laughs> ever. Like, I think the biggest super group in the world and are known by most countries and are played in pretty much every country. But anyway, if you don't know, um, the Beatles were an English rock pop band who started in Liverpool, which is in England. Again, if you don't know, but <laughs> I'd be shocked if you don't. Um, but anyway, they were they formed in the 60s and the members were John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. Um, unfortunately, John Lennon and George Harrison have passed away, but Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney are still alive. And interestingly, I don't know if you guys know this, but Ringo Starr, is the guy who does the voiceover on Thomas the Tank Engine. He's the narrator. Um, I did know that. No way. It's a, it's yeah. a really cool fact. <laughs> He's the narrator of Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but what anyway. a fall from grace. Um, <laughs> like, what well, one minute you're playing in front of like 100,000 people. The next minute you're playing a blue train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was about to sing the, the team tune, but I will not. Um, so yeah, no, that most no. most people would probably say they're most successful and influential band in the history of popular music. Many kind of artists probably wouldn't be around today if they hadn't have made the music they did. Mm. They released 13 super super successful albums and we're all going to be looking at kind of I think I think we're all looking at different albums actually, which is good. Um and so yeah, the genres are kind of like it's kind of it changed kind of throughout the time it was kind of it started more rocky kind of inspired by like 50 1950s like american rock and roll um and they kind of moved as they got older and <laughs> did a lot of drugs because they did a lot of drugs um 
they kind of moved on to more psychedelic kind of rock and pop mm. um and became much more experimental um and their producer who his name has completely left my head but he is the most renowned producer george martin george martin that's the one he is yes, probably the, the most one. he's probably the most uh, influential producer as well and he's he kind of helped them on their journey and yeah and they broke up in the 70s and it was very sad but they all mm. they all went on to make more great music um which you can obviously go listen to but yeah i think we're starting with zach so zach what have you brought to the brief today well i bought a song that i actually only discovered pretty recently um when i was doing my favorite pastime which is to listen to an entire beatles beatles album start to finish um and i was listening to rubber soul um and the first tra- track came on uh, drive my car which i absolutely love what a, what a banger um and then it finished and the second track came on which i didn't know it was called norwegian wood it was it was a completely different vibe um kind of quite nostalgic um quite calming but also some kind of quite quite intriguing i'd say um it was like the beatles is one of one of their most experimental um songs um and written primarily by John Lennon, although Paul McCartney disputes this. Um, it was one of their biggest arguments. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, uh, no, and, sorry, my face was because I... Oh, is it George Harrison sings this track, right? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I would have sworn this is one of them. I, I thought, uh, hang on, I'm going to do some... You keep talking, I'm going to research it. <laughs> um, no, so George Harrison um, is the guy who plays the sitar um, on this. So he plays the iconic riff on the sitar, which he'd only just been learning um, for about, well, I think, a couple of months. And he picked it up because he thought, ooh, I might be able to play this given I play the guitar, only to discover that the sitar is incredibly difficult um yeah so, they, are, <laughs> yeah, they to, are very difficult to play and they're also very difficult to source if you live in the uk because there's only oh, yes. i think you have to get them imported from india um well he got a really cheap one um and then kind of overdubbed it um and uh, um there's really really cool effect um and actually that was a really influential um use of um the sitar um because it hadn't really been used in like pop music of the day um and then after this like song came out many other bands went on to use it in their songs like um like the rolling stones used it um and bj thomas used it like pretty much loads of bands did it um anyway this song i'm going to play it to you now um so you can get some context for the rambling that i've been ensuing on <laughs> that <was the> last <laughs> time. Um, so here it is Um, so that was uh, Norwegian Wood. And as we established in the break, it was not sung by George Harrison. Um, Jules, thanks for the unwelcome interruption there. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, he's out me like that. 
um, so I think one of the biggest parts of this song, um, which I don't say often as an in- instrumentalist, um, is the lyrics. Um, but um, no, it's true. Um, the lyrics are very interesting in this song. Um, so on the f- surface of it, it seems like it's about um, a man who's uh, invited to a woman's house um, that's made of lots of Norwegian wood, hence the title. Um, and um, the woman leads the man on to believe that um, a, uh, a fun time is on the menu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way uh, to put it. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but instead, she ends up making him sleep in the bathtub. Um, and, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and when he wakes up the next day, um, she has gone to work and he is left in her house. And as an act of revenge, he then burns down her house. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> and, Active uh, shock it, on my face. I know. Um, so the last line of the lyrics is, um, so I lit a fire, isn't it good, Norwegian wood? Um, which okay. before the but Beatles came out and, and told, told everyone what the meaning was. Um, people thought it was like, uh, maybe it was lighting a cozy fire in the house and like with with Norwegian wood around. No, no, no. They were like, it's awesome. an act of revenge. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, well, that's funny. But the, the um, true meaning of this um, song, which John Lennon came out with um, a few years later, is that it was actually about an affair that he was having. Um, uh, so he didn't, want his wife Cynthia to know obviously about the affair um and he admitted to having lots and lots of affairs over the years um and so he wanted to write a song about it but he wanted to keep it subtle um and so this is kind of similar to a experience he had with one of his affairies affair <laughs> mistresses um, yeah, that's right. mistresses. yeah that's um, is not that sounds like a fairy <laughs> that just sounds like <laughs> <laughs> um yeah anyway um yeah, I thought it was an interesting fact. Um, and just kind of, it's very subtle and astute songwriting on their part. Because, um, I mean, this was the 60s, but they're kind of writing about topics like cheating and revenge and lust and arson, um, <laughs> which obviously would have been frowned upon. Um, and they just get away with it because it's just so subtle. Um, so, yeah, very interesting uh, song. What do you guys think about it? I really like the kind of, the more like the very acoustic and very kind of fun. It feels like you could be by a campfire listening to it, but then you listen to the lyrics mm. and it's like, oh, that's actually quite dark. That's like not as, it's, it's, I kind of guess a lot of the stuff we look about is kind of like the parallels, isn't it? Between the kind of the music being this fun and happy thing. Cause it is, it's all quite major. It's not, it's very diatonic. Mm. It's not at all like, there's no like oh, absolutely. out there. Um, like it just feels very, it's like a very, I guess it's a very not basic song, but it's a very kind of, easy listen to it's no like you don't have to like like think about it it's not like unpleasant in any way there's not really much dissonance or anything it's just kind of yeah. nice it's not like jazz <laughs> oh jazz <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> <laughs> totally no, didn't um, spend five minutes in the beginning talking about a jazz festival <laughs> oh no totally yeah. <laughs> um, no unfortunately i don't have my keyboard to hand right now um but um i, I will talk a tiny bit about the theory um so the verse as you said um stays on one chord the entire time um and so does like the the main riff it's all over one major chord um and then it finally changes at like the i don't know if you can really call it a chorus because the lyrics change every time but it's like a different section it's like a hook um, go, it's like hook. the melody yeah, is yeah, the yeah. same but the, the yeah the lyrics change yeah um yeah. no um so like the chord changes and it, to a minor chord um 
and oh. then it changed then it changes again a couple um times and yeah it's just a nice change from the like same chord over and over again which can get a bit wearing even though um there's lots of interesting stuff going on over the top of it um yeah i just thought really interesting song really experimental i mean staying on one chord for a long time um and using like a sitar is just not what anyone else is doing in like 60s rock and roll um so it just shows how you know innovative they were um but i think we should move on um so who is who's next i believe it's volunteer Jules, yeah. Yeah, I think it's me. Uh-huh. So my Beatles song is uh, Don't Let Me Down. Um, which it sound, I don't know. It's, it's Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's weird saying like the title of the song. It feels like I have to say, don't let me down. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a kind of iconic uh, rhythm. But I'm going to play it now and talk about it afterwards because uh, it's it's a slightly kind of niche one. I don't know. It's kind of recognisable, but also not particularly played that often. So Mm. I'm going to play that now. So it's uh, Don't Let Me Down from the Beatles. So that was Don't Let Me Down from the Beatles. Um, And so it actually wasn't part of any album. They recorded it during the uh, Let It Be sessions, but it was dropped from the album before release. And it was actually only released as a B-side to um, get back, which is really weird because I think it's one of those songs that's kind kind of gained in popularity over time. Um, but it was kind of it was you know late stage contemplative Beatles. It was the bit is the one when like John Lennon had his kind of long hair and goatee and like like Harry Potter glasses. No, um, they're the John Lennon glasses, not the Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter stole them. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, I, it's um, and I should mention so there's a pretty important uh, like keyboard part which is played by Billy Preston. Um, I don't know what else he's done. I just thought he should get a mention because um, it's uh, pretty important in the song. But yeah, I don't know. The, the the iconic bit of this song, I guess, is the kind of don't let me down, which is in three um, compared to the rest of the song, which is kind of in four. Um, and it's the kind of effect of doing the three, the three beats over two, it kind of slows down and it feels like it's kind of breaking up the rhythm and then it, kind of goes back into the four and it's really effective it kind of completely catches your attention because it, it's 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 not like they're playing the three and they've still got like two the two beats going on behind they just the whole band stops and it goes one two three um and yeah it's really effective that's a kind of like iconic bit of the song i guess um as well as the it's i don't know just that repetition of don't let me down the way that john lennon sings it, it's kind of very passionate and like 
slightly raspy. Um, it feel it feels really like he's kind of speaking. Yeah. He's, he's saying something, you know. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I've got to say about the song. Yeah, it surprised me that it wasn't on an album. Like I, because I, I've, mm. I've, 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 because no, I've listened to the Beatles my whole life, and I've just, I thought it was just a pop. I didn't realize it wasn't yeah. like because it's always been like a song that I've listened to is just like a kind of pop. I thought it was a really popular Beatles song. I mean, I'm sure it is really pop. Most of their songs are popular. I guess maybe just compared because they've had so many songs that have come out that have been absolutely chart smashing. Like everyone knows them, and yeah. I guess it's just it hasn't slipped under the radar, but it's just just below those in kind of popularity mm. so it's i guess talked yeah. about less i was surprised that it was so late um because it reminded me of like their their older like like more bluesy rock and rolly stuff i, I expected it to be because it, it, it's not like like their later psychedelic stuff i thought it would be like no. in their early albums um yeah. of course it wasn't in any of the albums so i was surprised <laughs> by that as well um, <laughs> yeah. yeah 1969 it was yeah. um I would, but, if um, you're wondering from before, Rubber Soul, the what Zach, uh, the album that Zach chose, um, Norwegian Wood Off, was from 1965. Just for some context, ah, yes. Yeah. I yeah, don't think we mentioned it before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No worries. <laughs> but um, yeah, just just rhythmically, it's just a really interesting song, and like the kind of the bit where he says, you know, nobody ever loved me like she does, like the kind of interview between the chorus and the verse. That's actually like five beats. So they kind of they switch it up. It's a really interesting um, structure, adding you know adding beats here and there. Um, but yeah, really good song. I think uh, yeah. you know there's nothing more we need really to add. So um, Zephyr, you really did your musical musical theory research, Jules. I'm impressed. I really did. You get a I, thumbs up I'll... from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So Zephyr, what what have you brought? So I didn't do any research um on musical theory classic. because because it's classic zephyr but um i'm going to talk about <laughs> strawberry fields forever and i actually have a kind of a, a story about why i chose this um so when i came back from the hospital when i was born um this is the first song my parents played to me um ever so it's the first song i've ever heard in my entire life which kind of sets the tone i guess for my musical career because it's such wow. a such a great I song. Can, I can imagine Zephyr making a kind of dank face just as he listens to Strawberry Fields. Like <laughs> yeah, as I was born, I was like, mm, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's off Magical Mystery Tour, uh, which is from the 1960... It was in 1967. And that was very much on their peak kind of psychedelic stage when they were yeah. doing a lot, a lot of drugs. I mean, this song is about drugs. That is all it's about. It's about, I think, um, LSD because um, they did a lot of sort of psychedelic, I mean, hence why they went into psychedelic music. Um, they did a lot. And this song is about um, hallucinating, I think, about the strawberry fields. So we're going to play it now and I hope you enjoy it. So yeah, here's Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down Because I'm going to Strawberry
So yeah, that was Strawberry Fields Forever. And I just kind of want to talk about a genius production trick that George Martin did, which uh, my friend told me about. And basically, they have an orchestra in the song, which record a lot of the parts, but the band actually recorded in a different key and a different time signature. So what George Martin had to do was they didn't have all the technology back then to do it all on computers and like shift it all like that. He had to literally get the tape and stretch it or like tighten it to fit. And he managed to get it in the right key and the right time signature by stretching it, which is like... Uh, no one's ever done that ever and i don't think they have done since it is ridiculously like and also there's a lot of weird reversed sort of sounds and actually at the end there's this really weird bit um where it goes i I really hate the end bit it scares it scares me so much i don't know why (laughs) especially when i'm listening on my own in my bed with my eyes closed with my headphones on it scares me a lot because that's what i like Mm. to do listen to listen to this album um and this song specifically um but it's it's got this really weird like speaking but it's reversed and there's there's been a conspiracy theory obviously there's always conspiracy theorists to to have taken this and basically reversed the speech and made it louder and it says something along the lines of pool is dead um he's gone we killed him or something weird like that and they basically it's a conspiracy theory that paul mccartney was killed or died and replaced um which is obviously not true (laughs) but but it's quite funny um that some people believe that um but yeah i just i I just think there's quite a a lot of cool production tricks and it's just such a weird sound and also the lyrics Mm. i probably i think i mentioned before we listened to it but um the lyrics are very much about kind of being on lsd and seeing weird things and wanting to go to these strawberry fields Mm. and be there forever um which is I, I find it interesting. Um, maybe it's a clue. Maybe that's where Paul McCartney's buried in maybe, the strawberry fields. Maybe Paul McCartney <laughs> is buried in the strawberry fields. And maybe he's there forever. He's and he's there forever. He's there forever. Yeah. Don't you oh, see God, it? conspiracy it's theories pod now? No. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, um I didn't know the fact about um George Martin having to like make the um like the original vocals in the right key. And it makes sense now because I was listening to it and I thought some of these vocals sound a bit out of tune. Like, not in a bad way, but like in a way that's like, it makes it sound really trippy. And I, like, that, there's, a, there's a lyric um, where it says, nothing is real. And that one especially is like, it's really flat. And I'm just, I, I heard it, I was like, that is so out of tune. It, it has to be like, it has to be um, not an accident, obviously. Yeah, there's lots of moments like that. Um, but, oh, fair interrupting the nothing is real but um there are lots of moments <laughs> like that in the song because of because of that weird production thing and obviously there's it's, it's not going to be perfect he didn't have the technology to do it but the fact that he got it so close and almost perfect is insane it's mm. it's so cool i mean yeah. it's the perfect song to do it with as well because mm. it's it's not a groove that's supposed to be like on point and everything's perfect yeah. it's supposed to be like whoa trippy <laughs> not quite in time not quite you know in tune um mm-hmm. and it just perfectly fits fits the vibe yeah mm. what do you think jules um yeah i mean obviously it's, it's a kind of a bit of a classic you talked about um the well in, in the break i don't think we were recording but um you talked about the kind of those really cool panning or something at the beginning and um that's something i think i mean panning is um when uh like because you can actually like root sound directly to like the left say if you're listening on headphones, like your left headphone or your right headphone. Um, it's a kind of production thing and it's used to like make uh, recordings kind of sound more spacious and it's 
I guess to kind of replicate when you're watching a kind of live show, because you'll have, you know, some instruments on, on different sides mm. of the stage. And if everything was in the middle, then it would sound actually quite crowded. Anyway, but um, the Beatles, I've, I've often noticed like a lot of their tracks, like not just specifically this one, they did a lot of just hard panning. Like you, so, like sometimes, especially at the beginning of tracks or something, you'd hear a guitar and it's just coming out of your right earphone, which is kind of always mm. jarring. And it's just an interesting kind of effect. Um. Mm. And they, yeah, they do it quite a lot. I wish I had an example off the top of my head, but I don't. Well, at the very um, beginning of the song, it's I think it's pan, pan to the left. Um, the first instrument, I, I think it's a sitar or a guitar that comes. It's, I mean, this is when they were using loads of weird instruments, so it could have been mm. a lot, any any host of things. But it's hard pan to the left, and then something else comes in on the right, and then it kind of all molds together. And it's, I mean, you can actually turn that off because. Um, on head on i think most modern like music listening softwares you can switch it to mono audio where it, it just puts everything on both sides so it, you can't yeah, hear that yeah. effect um and a lot of a lot of like some people i mean not a lot musicians sometimes opt for this but most musicians opt for stereo which is how you get that pan side as if you've got two speakers or two headphone sides and you can kind of switch between them but yeah it's just a cool trick and they did use it a lot especially during the psychedelic oh, yeah. days i reckon is when they used mm. it more when production like technology was getting more available to use and better as well um yeah 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 um yeah but, right. i mean panning something that, that's used in kind of every recording just more subtly than it's done you know a lot of the time by the beatles I guess. oh yeah you can yeah. listen out for it a lot of times the kind of backing guitar or something will be slightly to the right you'll, you'll, you'll yeah. use no. sometimes you think your headphones are broken and that's always a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um yeah anyway i think that brings us to the end of our discussion about the beatles it's taken us six episodes to start talking about the beatles so i think that you know that's well done us we've yeah. we've, we've held it back um <laughs> but yeah so in part two um i've got the artist spotlight i'm talking about paolo Nettini. Um, so look forward to that. Okay, welcome to part two of the Sidetrack Music Podcast. And now it's time for the Artist Spotlight. And today I'm going to be talking about Paolo Nettini. Um, so to do a quick intro, I'm going to do this in a kind of, I don't know, chronological order. or try a kind of slightly new Artist Spotlight format for me anyway. So he is a soul slash R&B, slash kind of blues rock singer from the, the small town of Paisley, Scotland. Um, but as, as his name suggests, I think he's kind of of, of Italian descent initially. Um, so as a teenager, he worked shifts in his uh, family fish and chip shop uh, between kind of recording demos. And at the young age of 19, he released his debut album in 2006, uh, which was entitled These Streets. It went all the way to number three in the UK charts. Um, it's one of my favorite albums. Um, it's, it's really, really cool sound. Um, so yeah, and the, the, so as is kind of typical of a lot of kind of young artists, the lyrics are very real. He says they're kind of based on his experiences and the kind of three years leading up to the, the recording of the album. Um, and there's lots of kind of bluesy and soul influences. So to give an idea of the kind of overall style, the first tune I'm going to play is from this album. It's called Loving You. Um, and here it is. Slide through the door With your morals on your sleeve And I think it's time for all those morals to leave So let's get down and freaky, baby Let's get rest 
So that was Loving You from These Streets, uh, Paolo Nucini. Um, and yeah, that kind of song, it's, it's quite, you know, quite minimalist. He, he plays the, um, the, the guitar on that. Um, but you can immediately hear, so yeah, the blues influences, but how his voice kind of, uh, really fits in well. He's got a really kind of unique voice, kind of slightly raspy, husky sound. Um, but I, I really like it. I think it fits perfectly in with the style of music that he does. Um, and he also, I mean, you hear it, if you hear him speaking, he's got a gloriously thick Scottish accent, um, which you can't actually hear too well on the record. But as I'll um, talk about later, you, uh, on these kind of live live performances, you can, it kind of comes out a bit more. I don't know. I don't know why, actually, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, but by far the most successful song from the album, These Streets, and the most, most famous one is New Shoes, which is... Um, Slightly faster, more upbeat, um, a kind of slightly dancier track, um, talking about how put some new shoes on, suddenly everything feels all right. Um, there's some hilarious music videos that go with um, with these songs. It's, kind of, it's very naughty. It's just kind of there's 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 nothing kind of artistic about the music video. It's just kind of him <laughs> walking walking around like talking about the new shoes, thinking it's quite it's quite amusing. Because <laughs> um, he's like 19, it's, it's it's mad how young he was, um, mm. and the kind of how he rose to kind of stardom so quickly. So yeah, I'm going to play new shoes now. Yeah, you may recognise this one a bit more than the last one. Woke up cold one Tuesday. I'm looking tired and feeling quite sick. I felt like there was something missing in my day to day life. So I quickly opened the Pulled out some jeans and a t-shirt that seemed clean Topped it off with a pair of old shoes that were ripped around the seams And I thought these shoes just don't suit me Hey, I put some new shoes on and suddenly everything's right I said, hey, I put some new shoes on and everybody's smiling It's so inviting, oh, shut up Okay, so that was New Shoes um, from The Streets. And you can immediately hear it's just a really kind of upbeat, happy, feel-good song. Um, and it's just it's just really good fun to listen to. Zach pointed out that Last Request might also might actually be the most like statistically the most yeah. popular song uh, from the album, which may be true, but I think, I don't know, the most it's the most kind of danceable. I, th- I think it's the one that really sums up the album and kind of, the whole vibe around Paolo Nassini when it came out, because I was only, I was only four at the time. So I wasn't hugely aware um, of his presence, <laughs> but I do know it was, it was a, it was a kind of really amazing story. I think at the time, you know, this 19 year old in a small town in Scotland, you know, Scotland. suddenly becomes this kind of Sorry. huge, huge star. Like his debut album goes to number three. Um, it's very yeah, impressive a, for someone of that age. Really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And I, it really I, is. And it's, like, like you say, he's from a small village, so like you'd think his Scottish accent would come out. I, I, mean, he, I mean, he must do it for the recordings. He must like, like pull uh, it back a bit, just so. It's, I wonder if he does. Like, I feel like, like he does maybe, tone not, it down. maybe not consciously, but like because you said on the live recordings, it's much less because he's probably not trying. He's probably just. Like, I, I feel like yeah. he's probably trying, so it's like reaches a wider audience because he's probably because it it's came an top point. of the UK charts, which is you know it needs to appeal to 
Scottish people, yeah. Welsh people. <laughs> and not saying, English not people. saying that, that Scottish people can't be understood no, with their Scottish not, accents. But like, it's, especially from small villages up, like up in like North Scotland, it's harder to understand if you're not. He's got, if you're he's not got Scottish. a thick accent. You do have it. a point. Like, you yeah, like you uh, mentioned. If you're not, yeah. if you're not native English, if you're not native, yeah, it's hard to understand that. No, um, I, I love this song. Um, I, I love the build at the start. It starts with like kind of just bass and drums and yeah. his voice like, with like a few chords in the background. And then like halfway through the verse, like the guitar comes in um, playing these, I don't know, just really funky rhythms. Um, mm. And um, yeah, this and the other track that you played, like really, they really highlight how clean the mixing was and the production is in this album. Like, which you you see less in his later stuff. I love his later stuff as well, but like mm. his later stuff is slightly more kind of gritty and slightly muddy, I'd say. And I love yeah. how just clean everything is. It's um, ironic. It usually, yeah. it usually starts the other way around, doesn't it? Like when yeah. people start out, it's usually much more muddy, less, much well less produced. And yeah. then they kind of get a cleaner sound as they get older. But it's, he started off at such a high like exactly. level of like music like he just you hear it on the radio and it's like sounds not out of place and he's only 19 which is very impressive yeah mm. yeah it's very it's very it's very pure um that's mm. kind of part of the beauty of it i think it's just kind of he, he's you know i think he's re- he's written all the songs it's just kind of him like expressing his like musicianship and all that it's, it's really cool um so well talking about kind of the son's success so he catapulted to stardom leading to a bunch of big live performances and so this part i want to talk about what an amazing live performer he was so i mean i say he was i guess he still is um but uh so he um i never saw him live but uh he i guess the big one there's a live album that that you can find um from his set at the on the pyramid stage at glastonbury in 2007 the famed pyramid stage and um the track i'm going to play from that album is um well the, the, the kind of the live album is jenny don't be hasty which is also a track on on these streets uh it's actually probably my favorite one it's one of the more rock uh rock kind of style ones um really really catchy guitar riff but the reason i want to play the live album version is because they, they do this really amazing build-up um he's kind of slightly improvising on his vocals and it's amazing because it you start off and you're not entirely sure what song they're going to play. And there's this brilliant moment when they break into the groove and you hear the crowd realizing, oh, this is a song he's playing. And it literally, I mean, it gives me goosebumps, actually. It's a, I find it a really kind of powerful moment because they spend good 30, 40 seconds building up and then going into that. So I'm going to play the build up and break into the groove. Hopefully you can kind of feel the same, the same power in music as me. Uh, but yeah, so here's the live version of Jane Toby Hasty from Fast and Breathe. 2007 <laughs> 
So that was the live version of Jenny Don't Be Hasty. And I, yeah, I hope you that the, the moment where the crowd kind of goes off where they get into the groove, absolutely amazing. I, I love mm, it. Really gives um, you goosebumps that. Bloody hell. Yeah. yeah really really nice. actually, I, and I wasn't even listening to it from my phone. We were listening to it on a mic just then. And it still, you could still get that even just from like a kind of weird distorted version of it. It still sounds really cool. And it's so like, whoa yeah. and that groove is so good as well when it kicks it's like i mean i don't want to sing it but you, you know like, it's very recognizable and like the instrumentation and stuff is really nice and i just mm. yeah i think that bit's cool yeah. yeah one thing i do notice about these live recordings of um paolo nutini is that his his voice sounds much more gruff and thicker and less like the voice i know from his very cleanly produced al- um like debut album and i wonder they must have done a lot of work on his voice in the studio um to get it like that because i mean live i love his voice live as well i mean i love both mm. of them but it's it's much like kind of g- more growly and like yeah more like a metal musician's voice well not not like a screamer but like a, <laughs> a metal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah do you want me to do a, a metal scream no i won't no, um, no, no, we're, no, good. No, we're good we're good we're good yeah, <laughs> yeah. no they they are very different we should talk about metal i know none of us know anything <laughs> about it but we should <laughs> <laughs> i reckon some um, people would appreciate it <laughs> yes <laughs> anyway um yeah yeah i mean his live performances have a kind of completely different dimension um to kind of this, uh i mean compared to the studio performances but yeah ama- amazing stuff um so then so after this kind of initial success he released uh sunny side up in 2009 um which actually went straight to number one in the uk charts but somewhat weirdly, it was it was one of the less it was well he's re- he's released three albums in his career and that was it was the least kind of well received. So he completely well not completely really pivoted in style. It went to a kind of folk more folky country kind of style. Mm. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not a huge fan um, of, of that album. Uh, I don't think it's his best work. There's one song from the album called Candy, which is. Um, a pretty sad song but it's a really 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 good song um i really like it it's a really kind of powerful one but i don't really have much to say about the rest of the album because um well i don't like it that much <laughs> <laughs> so but it still had it had um it, you know it sold plenty of records um maybe just based off its kind of earlier success but you know it was a it's a relatively good uh good success in at, at the um the box office i guess um and then in uh and you know he did more live performances and in 2014 um he released caustic love which was another kind of style shift as well so he came away more from the the folk country vibes and uh went closer to kind of soul and r&b so whereas his kind of first album was kind of soul r&b but with rock influences this the caustic love is very soul it's kind of hip-hop vibes as well um, very different as well. And this one um, didn't sell quite as well, maybe because the hype had kind of died down. This is eight years after its kind of first breakthrough. But it was really well critically acclaimed. Um, critics absolutely loved it. It doesn't always trans- translate to album sales, unfortunately. But um, I think it's a really cool one. And I've only started listening to it more regularly recently. But um, I think the, the track that best illustrates the kind of change in sound is uh, Iron Sky which is uh, what I'm going to play now. And uh, I think, maybe listen out for now, but I think this album, it slightly reminds me of Amy Winehouse, some of the tracks and the vibes oh. that he kind of gives off. He's, 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 I don't know if that's a deliberate thing, but um, it 
sounds, or maybe that's just because of the, the kind of style that he's changed to in this album. But it's more on that side. But yeah, anyway, here's um, Iron Sky from Corsic Love. We are proud individuals living for the city. But the flames couldn't go much higher. We find God and religions to, to paint us with salvation. But no. So that was Iron Sky um, from Corpic Love, Palantini's, uh, well, so as, as of yet, last album um, in 2014. So yeah, and you can just kind of hear it. I mean, that song is less kind of Amy Winehouse style, but there's a lot of other songs in the in the album which really reminded me of, of Amy Winehouse. Um, but it's just a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a different style. It's a really interesting style. And I think the album's actually worth listening to. It's been slightly forgotten about. Um, but yeah, the final thing I want to talk about with Panantini is um, well, basically he's disappeared. Um, not physically, like we know, we know. I think he's still just chilling around in, in Paisley, Scotland. <laughs> but he, he kind of he's had since I think 2017 or 16 or 17 was his last kind of live appearance um, playing music. So he's kind of done a, had a, a hiatus. Um, I don't know, and um, I don't know what, what what's happened, and it's quite sad. Um, so, Paolo, if you're listening, please come back. Um, we, we want we want more of your music. Um, uh, I, I yeah, because he's, he's, he's a really incredible talent, um, and it would be a shame to kind of. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure he's he's, he's got his reasons. Um, I I I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows the full story as to why. There's a lot of people wondering. I think what what what's happened. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he just got bored. Like, mm. you can tell from his albums, like, that he kind of switches from styles quite a lot. And maybe he just thinks, like, I've done everything I can offer to the world. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe I, just I, I understand. I understand the getting tired of playing the same songs over and over again at mm. um, concerts. Like, like, I mean, he doesn't have one hit singles. Uh, he, he doesn't have a one hit single, thank God, because bands you have a one-hit single they, it must be soul destroying just being like but look at all the other songs we have and no one, <laughs> no one cares um but um i i get how it can be quite wearing um but um yeah, yeah. i mean I, i'd really love to hear some more of his stuff maybe yeah. he's just slaving away maybe he's doing a beatles he's uh doing, making a whole studio album maybe yeah for the last um, seven years he's been working on it uh and what, what's the word a kind of a huge uh, oh, Sergeant Pepper's Louis Hawk, Hawk Club band. Yeah, um, album. yeah, a huge kind of yeah, ten hour long album. No, pure um, soul. And, and, <laughs> and hopefully, we're to expect another Sergeant Pepper's um, yeah. album to come out from from <laughs> I mean, his yeah. time away. Yeah, um, it, 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 yeah. because it is also just like on his life performances. It sounds like he's having kind of so much fun. He got such mm. good energy. Um, yeah. I want, I want to see him come back. So um, it's an it's an interesting it's a really interesting one because he's he's still well if he was nineteen in two thousand and six so he's in his thirties now um, you know he's he's still got plenty of years ahead of him it's not like he's kind of well, <laughs> right Zephyr, what are you doing 
Seth <laughs> uh, just got out a lightsaber on our call. Um, for those of you who can't see, which is everyone, obviously, I got sidetracked. Um, I apologize. Ze- Zeph um, got bored of the Palo. No, he got bored of, like, I did not get bored. I, I actually, I just never, I'd never really heard him before, to be honest, until you told me to that this the artist spotlight you chose, and I actually have really, really enjoyed his music, um, especially. Um, the one that we listened to the live version of, which I've completely... The, the, oh, um... Jenny O.B. Yeah, that one. I really, really like that song. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to go listen to all his albums now. Um, and I encourage the rest of you to go do that. But yeah, no, I actually have really enjoyed it. And sorry for that little distraction I just had. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we hope you agree with Zephyr. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. Um, it's um, it's definitely worth listening to, especially. Uh, I mean, these streets and caustic love are both proper proper albums, and that you can listen the whole way through, and it's worth listening the whole way through because there's lots of hidden gems. There's a track actually in caustic love with um, Janelle Monae. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but um, mm, she's yeah. yeah, she's a cool singer. She's a big thing. Yeah, she's, yeah. Is she an R and B like singer? Yeah, she's Something. like an R and B singer. She also acts a bit, I think. Um, oh yeah. yeah yeah i've seen her in movies i can't remember she was in one, uh, hidden figures or something i think yes hidden figures about. the one about the nasa uh scientists yes. wasn't it the, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah, math- yeah exactly. mathematician sorry the nasa mathematician mm. yeah that's the one yeah anyway okay yeah so um we will we will wrap up the show we've talked about Beatles songs strawberry fields don't let me down and norwegian wood uh and we've done an art spotlight about paolo natini um so thanks so much for listening Please do subscribe so you get all the next episodes. Share the podcast with your with your friends and family. And uh, we'll be back next time. Thanks for listening. Sidetracked, the music podcast. Yes.